0: Chapter twenty seven of the Mayor of Casterbridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy. Chapter twenty seven. It was the eve of harvest. Prices being low, Farfrae was buying. As was usual, after reckoning too surely on famine weather, the local farmers had flown to the other extreme, and, in Farford's opinion, were selling off too recklessly, calculating with just a trifle too much certainty upon an abundant yield. So he went on buying old corn at its comparatively ridiculous price, for the produce of the previous year, though not large, had been of excellent quality. When Henchard had squared his affairs in a disastrous way, and got rid of his burdensome purchases at a monstrous loss, The harvest began. There were three days of excellent weather, and then— "'What if that cursed conjurer should be right after all?' said Henchard. The fact was that no sooner had the sickles begun to play than the atmosphere suddenly felt as if cress would grow in it without other nourishment. It rubbed people's cheeks like damp flannel when they walked abroad. There was a gusty, high, warm wind— Isolated raindrops starred the window panes at remote distances. The sunlight would flap out like a quickly opened fan, throw the pattern of the window upon the floor of the room in a milky, colorless shine, and withdraw as suddenly as it had appeared. From that day and hour it was clear that there was not to be so successful an ingathering after all. If Henchard had only waited long enough— He might at least have avoided loss, though he had not made a profit. But the momentum of his character knew no patience. At this turn of the scales he remained silent. The movements of his mind seemed to tend to the thought that some power was working against him. I wonder, he asked himself with eerie misgiving, I wonder if it can be that somebody has been roasting a waxen image of me or stirring an unholy brew to confound me. I don't believe in such power, and yet—what if they should have been doing it? Even he could not admit that the perpetrator, if any, might be Farfrae. These isolated hours of superstition came to Henchard in time of moody depression, when all his practical largeness of view had oozed out of him. Meanwhile, Donald Farfrae prospered. He had purchased in so depressed a market that the present moderate stiffness of prices was sufficient to pile for him A large heap of gold where a little one had been. "'Why, he'll soon be mayor,' said Henchard. "'It was indeed hard that the Speaker should, of all others, "'have to follow the triumphal chariot of this man to the capital. "'The rivalry of the masters was taken up by the men. "'September night shades had fallen upon Casterbridge. "'The clocks had struck half-past eight, and the moon had risen.' The streets of the town were curiously silent for such a comparatively early hour. A sound of jangling horse-bells and heavy wheels passed up the street. These were followed by angry voices outside Lucetta's house, which led her and Elizabeth Jane to run to the windows and pull up the blinds. The neighboring market-house and town hall abutted against its next neighbor, the church, except in the lower story where an arched thoroughfare gave admittance to a large square called Bull Stake, A stone post rose in the midst, to which the oxen had formerly been tied for baiting with dogs to make them tender before they were killed in the adjoining shambles. In a corner stood the stocks. The thoroughfare leading to this spot was now blocked by two four-horse wagons and horses, one laden with hay trusses, the leaders having already passed each other and become entangled head to tail. The passage of the vehicles might have been practicable, if empty, but built up with hay to the bedroom windows, as one was, it was impossible. "'You must have done it a purpose,' said Farfrae's wagoner. "'You can hear my horse's bells half a mile, such a night as this. "'If ye'd been minding your business instead of wailing along in such a gawkhammer way, you would have zed me,' retorted the Roth representative of Henchard. "'However,' According to the strict rule of the road, it appeared that Henchard's man was most in the wrong. He therefore attempted to back into the high street. In doing this, the near hind wheel rose against the churchyard wall, and the whole mountainous load went over, two of the four wheels rising in the air and the legs of the fell horse. Instead of considering how to gather up the load, the two men closed in a fight with their fists. Before the first round was quite over, henchard came upon the spot somebody having run for him henchard sent the two men staggering in contrary directions by collaring one with each hand turned to the horse that was down and extricated him after some trouble he then inquired into the circumstances and seeing the state of his wagon and its load began hotly raiding farfrae's man lucetta and elizabeth jane had by this time run down to the street corner whence they watched the bright heap of new hay lying in the moon's rays, and passed and repassed by the forms of Henchard and the wagoners. The women had witnessed what nobody else had seen, the origin of the mishap. And Lucetta spoke. "'I saw it all, Mr. Henchard,' she cried, "'and your man was most in the wrong.' Henchard paused in his harangue and turned. "'Oh, I didn't notice you, Miss Templeman,' said he. "'My man in the wrong?' Ah, to be sure, to be sure. But I beg your pardon, notwithstanding. The other's is the empty wagon, and he must have been most to blame for coming on. No, I saw it too, said Elizabeth Jane, and I can assure you he couldn't help it. You can't trust their senses, murmured Henchard's man. Why not? asked Henchard sharply. Why, well, you see, sir, all the women side with Farfrae, being a damned young dand of the sort that he is one that creeps into a maid's heart like the giddying worm into a sheep's brain, making crooked seem straight to their eyes. But do you know who that lady is you talk about in such a fashion? Do you know that I pay my attentions to her and have for some time? Just be careful. Not I. I know nothing, sir, outside eight shillings a week. And that Mr. Farfray is well aware of it? He's sharp in trade, but he wouldn't do anything so underhand as what you hint at whether because lucetta heard this low dialogue or not her white figure disappeared from her doorway inward and the door was shut before henchard could reach it to converse with her further this disappointed him for he had been sufficiently disturbed by what the man had said to wish to speak to her more closely while pausing the old constable came up just see that nobody drives against that hay and wagon to-night said the corn merchant it must bide till the morning "'for all hands are in the field still, "'and if any coach or road-wagon wants to come along, "'tell them they must go round by the back street "'and be hanged to them. "'Any case tomorrow up in hall?' "'Yes, sir. One in number, sir.' "'Oh, what's that?' "'An old flagrant female, sir, "'swearing and committing a nuisance "'in a horrible, profane manner "'against the church wall, sir, "'as if t'were no more than a pot-house. "'That's all, sir.' "'Oh, the mayor's out of town, isn't he?' "'He is, sir.' "'Very well, then. I'll be there. Don't forget to keep an eye on that hay. Good night, he.' During those moments, Henchard had determined to follow up Lucetta, notwithstanding her elusiveness, and he knocked for admission. The answer he received was an expression of Miss Templeman's sorrow at being unable to see him again that evening, because she had an engagement to go out.' Henchard walked away from the door to the opposite side of the street and stood by his hay in a lonely reverie, the constable having strolled elsewhere and the horses being removed. Though the moon was not bright as yet, there were no lamps lighted, and he entered the shadow of one of the projecting jambs which formed the thoroughfare to Bull Stake. Here he watched Lucetta's door. Candle lights were flitting in and out of her bedroom and it was obvious that she was dressing for the appointment, whatever the nature of that might be at such an hour. The lights disappeared, the clock struck nine, and almost at the moment Farfrae came round the opposite corner and knocked. That she had been waiting just inside for him was certain, for she instantly opened the door herself. They went together by the way of a back lane westward, avoiding the front street. Guessing where they were going, he determined to follow— the harvest had been so delayed by the capricious weather, that whenever a fine day occurred all sinews were strained to save what could be saved of the damaged crops. On account of the rapid shortening of the days, the harvesters worked by moonlight. Hence, to-night, the wheat fields abutting on the two sides of the square formed by Casterbridge Town were animated by the gathering hands. Their shouts and laughter had reached Henchard at the market-house while he stood there waiting and he had little doubt from the turn which Farfray and Lucetta had taken that they were bound for the spot. Nearly the whole town had gone into the fields. The Casterbridge populace still retained the primitive habit of helping one another in time of need, and thus, though the corn belonged to the farming section of the little community, that inhabiting the Durnover quarter, the remainder was no less interested in the labour of getting it home. Reaching the top of the lane, Henchard crossed the shaded avenue on the walls, slid down the green rampart, and stood amongst the stubble. The stitches, or shocks, rose like tents about the yellow expanse, those in the distance becoming lost in the moonlit hazes. He had entered at a point removed from the scene of immediate operations, but two others had entered at that place, and he could see them winding among the shocks. They were paying no regard to the direction of their walk, whose vague serpentining soon began to bear down towards Henchard. A meeting promised to be awkward, and he therefore stepped into the hollow of the nearest shock and sat down. "'You have my leave,' Lucetta was saying gaily. "'Speak what you like.' "'Well, then,' replied Farfray, with the unmistakable inflection of the lover-pure, which Henchard had never heard in full resonance of his lips before— "'You are sure to be much sought after for your position, wealth, talents, and beauty. "'But will you resist the temptation to be one of those ladies with lots of admirers, eh, "'and be content to have only a homely one?' "'And he, the speaker?' said she, laughing. "'Very well, sir. What next?' "'Ah, I am afraid that what I feel will make me forget my manners. "'Then I hope you'll never have any, if you lack them only for that cause.' After some broken words, which Henchard lost, she added, "'Are you sure you won't be jealous?' Farfrae seemed to assure her that he would not by taking her hand. "'You are convinced, Donald, that I love nobody else,' she presently said, "'but I should wish to have my own way in some things.' "'In everything, what special thing did you mean? "'If I wished not to live always in Casterbridge, for instance, "'upon finding that I should not be happy here?' Henchard did not hear the reply. He might have done so, and much more, but he did not care to play the eavesdropper. They went on towards the scene of activity, where the sheaves were being handed, a dozen a minute, upon the carts and wagons which carried them away. Lucetta insisted on parting from Farfrey when they drew near the workpeople. He had some business with them, and though he entreated her to wait a few minutes, she was inexorable, and tripped off homeward alone. Henchard thereupon left the field and followed her. His state of mind was such that on reaching Lucetta's door he did not knock, but opened it and walked straight up to her sitting-room, expecting to find her there. But the room was empty, and he perceived that in his haste he had somehow passed her on the way hither. He had not to wait many minutes, however, for he soon heard her dress rustling in the hall, followed by a soft closing of the door. In a moment she appeared. The light was so low that she did not notice Henchard at first. As soon as she saw him, she uttered a little cry, almost of terror. "'How can you frighten me so?' she exclaimed with a flushed face. "'It is past ten o'clock, and you have no right to surprise me here at such a time.' "'I don't know that I'm not the right. At any rate, I have the excuse. "'Is it so necessary that I should stop to think of manners and customs?' "'It is too late for propriety and might injure me. "'I called an hour ago, and you would not see me, "'and I thought you were in when I called now. "'It is you, Lucetta, who are doing wrong. "'It is not proper any to throw me over like this. "'I have a little matter to remind you of, which you seem to forget.' "'She sank into a chair and turned pale. "'I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it,' "'she said through her hands, as he, standing close to the edge of her gown, "'began to allude to the Jersey days. "'But you ought to hear it,' said he. "'It came to nothing, and through you. "'Then why not leave me the freedom that I gained with such sorrow? "'Had I found that you proposed to marry me for pure love, "'I might have felt bound now. "'But I soon learnt that you had planned it out of mere charity, "'almost as an unpleasant duty, "'because I had nursed you and compromised myself, "'and you thought you must repay me.' After that, I did not care for you so deeply as before. Why did you come here to find me, then? I thought I ought to marry you for conscience' sake, since you were free, even though I did not like you so well. And why, then, don't you think so now? She was silent. It was only too obvious that conscience had ruled well enough till new love had intervened and usurped that rule. In feeling this, she herself forgot for the moment her partially justifying argument, that having discovered Henchard's infirmities of temper, she had some excuse for not risking her happiness in his hands after once escaping them. The only thing she could say was, I was a poor girl then, and now my circumstances have altered, so I am hardly the same person. That's true, and it makes the case awkward for me. "'But I don't want to touch your money. "'I am quite willing that every penny of your property "'shall remain to your personal use. "'Besides, that argument has nothing in it. "'The man you are thinking of is no better than I.' "'If you were as good as he, you would leave me,' she cried passionately. "'This unluckily aroused Henchard. "'You cannot in honour refuse me,' he said. "'And unless you give me your promise this very night "'to be my wife before a witness, I'll reveal our intimacy.' in common fairness to other men a look of resignation settled upon her henchard saw its bitterness and had lucetta's heart been given to any other man in the world than farfrae he would probably have had pity upon her at that moment but the supplanter was the upstart as henchard called him who had mounted into prominence upon his shoulders and he could bring himself to show no mercy without another word she rang the bell and directed that Elizabeth Jane should be fetched from her room. The latter appeared, surprised in the midst of her lucubrations. As soon as she saw Henchard, she went across to him dutifully. "'Elizabeth Jane,' he said, taking her hand, "'I want you to hear this,' and turning to Lucetta, "'Will you or will you not marry me?' "'If you wish it, I must agree.' "'You say yes?' "'I do.' No sooner had she given the promise than she fell back in a fainting state. "'What dreadful thing drives her to say this, father, when it is such a pain to her?' asked Elizabeth, kneeling down by Lucetta. "'Don't compel her to do anything against her will. I have lived with her and know that she cannot bear much.' "'Don't be a northern simpleton,' said Henchard dryly. "'This promise will leave him free for you, if you want him, won't it?' At this, Lucetta seemed to wake from her swoon with a start. "'Him? Who are you talking about?' she said wildly. "'Nobody, as far as I am concerned,' said Elizabeth firmly. "'Oh, well, then it is my mistake,' said Henchard. "'But the business is between me and Miss Templeman. "'She agrees to be my wife.' "'But don't dwell on it just now,' entreated Elizabeth, holding Lucetta's hand. "'I don't wish to, if she promises,' said Henchard. "'I have, I have,' groaned Lucetta her limbs hanging like fluid from very misery and faintness. Michael, please don't argue it any more. I will not, he said, and taking up his hat, he went away. Elizabeth Jane continued to kneel by Lucetta. What is this? she said. You called my father Michael, as if you knew him well. And how is it he has got this power over you that you promised to marry him against your will? Ah, you have many, many secrets from me. "'Perhaps you have some from me,' Lucetta murmured with closed eyes, "'little thinking, however, so unsuspicious was she, "'that the secret of Elizabeth's heart concerned the young man "'who had caused this damage to her own.' "'I would not do anything against you at all,' stammered Elizabeth, "'keeping in all signs of emotion till she was ready to burst. "'I cannot understand how my father can command you so. "'I don't sympathize with him in it at all.' I'll go to him and ask him to release you. No, no, said Lucetta, let it all be. End of chapter twenty seven.